0: This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous conversation about difficult subjects. Tonight is a part of our series on transgender issues. I'm going to be speaking with Liam Beshin about being genderqueer. Liam Beshin is a gender-funky, gender-fluid trans man living in Portland. His professional background is in social work, victims' advocacy, trauma response, and case management. He's particularly invested in allying with marginalized communities to reduce systemic oppression. Liam, along with his voice, his fiddle, guitar, ukulele, and spoken word, has traveled the United States as a solo artist, as well as with the Tranny Roadshow and with the trans genre Transfusions 2 National Tour. Welcome to Safe Space. Thanks. So, I want to ask you by, um, start by asking you a little bit about your own story. Um, you identify as trans fluid and a a trans man and I, I'd love to hear what you mean by that and how what's the evolution of that
1: so like, how did I come to those identities yeah sure so I feel like it one of the mainstream trans narratives that, you know, sort of the one that ends up on, you know, Oprah or mainstream TV, whatever, is that, you know, most trans people know that they were trans at like age two and didn't want to play with the fire trucks and wanted to play with the skirt or whatever. But And that's a totally valid thing. But for me, I didn't really realize that there was something really different about me until I was probably 16 when I was in, you know, a high school class and I was looking around at like the other girls and I said there's a page missing from my book. I just don't know how to do that the way that these folks seem to know how to do that. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, my queer identity. You know, I sort of was outside of the heterosexual norm too, but when I went to college and started to learn about trans folks, I found the word genderqueer and that was one of the first words that I felt like really fit my identity and I was probably My early 20s then, and I started to identify as trans and gender fluid, and then it just sort of evolved to a point where it became something that I felt like I wanted to pursue more, and so I changed my name, and it's just been a a long road, a long road, and I have never felt like I have really been just one gender. There's a lot of gender going on for me, many different directions all the time. It's different every day, which is why I'm trans and genderqueer or gender fluid, because I'm not just a point A to point B binary, which is great for some people, but it doesn't
0: work for me. So so I'm just picturing you there as that college student seeing the word genderqueer and thinking, oh, now that fits. And I'm yeah. curious, what did that word mean to you? Because I didn't, hadn't heard that word until fairly recently. And I'm curious, when you heard that word, how what did it mean to you?
1: Well, I had already started identifying as queer, and part of my journey there was that, you know, I came out as a lesbian early in college. I was probably 18 or 19, and that was a really important part of my identity was sort of a fierce femme kind of lady at the time. And then I started to grapple with but I'm attracted to people of more than just this one gender and I'm attracted to more than one body type and that felt like there was a lot of shame and stigma around being well am I a lesbian am I bisexual until I found the word queer and for me that was about not being I'm not straight I'm not gay I'm not bisexual there's this other thing that acknowledges that there's more than one one way to be attracted to someone and more than two body types and more than two genders and it's like a conscious, for me, a conscious interruption of that system. And genderqueer, when I first found that word, was the same thing for me. It's just queering gender. So it's I'm not male. I'm not female. I'm all of those things at once. And it's just more complicated. And it's not a point A to point B. or It's, there's, it's not an either or. It's an and.
0: and. And for most people, so it sounds like it started externally, like mm-hmm. with the kind of person you were attracted to and realizing how wide open that was. And mm-hmm. then it... Applied to yourself and your sense of yourself. Is that true for a lot of people who are genderqueer? I think
1: there's just so many, as many different people as there are on the earth, there are different gender identities and ways to come to them. So I can't speak for everyone, but I think that a lot of folks who um, come to a trans or gender fluid identity have some non-mainstream exploration of like non-heterosexual exploration of sexuality to and gender and sexuality are different. But some people don't too. Like some people are, you know, I'm straight and I'm genderqueer and it's two separate things for me. So there's so many different roads.
0: So you said, um, you know, when we were planning to do this together, you said uh, it would be worth going over kind of genderqueer 101, mm-hmm. which I just loved as an idea. And so when you want someone to really know the kind of key Pieces of understanding what genderqueer is. What, what are those? What do you say about it? So, I, I guess it's a,
1: again, it's just a conscious decision to live in a gray space. For some people, the gray space is a space that they transition through, but I like purposely sit on the fence. Like, it doesn't feel good to me to just be one thing, and I'm not transitioning from. One gender to another set gender that society has told me like i I view gender as a construct and sex as a construct, so even when people define sex as bio- biology and like you know your genitals or you know the your chromosomes, I feel like that's also a construct. society has said that it is that way, and so we believe it to be that way, but I don't think that it has to be that way
0: how what would be another way of thinking of sex I think
1: just something that we've Constructed to categorize people, and there's a lot of there's a lot of good that can come from that, like identifying with a word or having something that makes you feel allied with the female community or allied with you know people who also identify as male. But for me, the fact that there is there are those identities is a construction of society, not something that is an absolute that I was born into, and that's the way that it is.
0: So you're you're gracious and of course acknowledging the upside of it. Tell me a little bit more about what the downside of it is for you. You know, with any kind of social construct, it can be hard if you don't feel like you fit in it. And I, I wonder yeah. how you experience that.
1: It's something that happens for me every day because, I mean, you know, we're on the radio, so you can't see what I look like. But I I have a visible chest, and that's a conscious decision that I make. And that it hurts my back, it hurts my body to bind. And a lot of trans men do bind and that's a really important part of their mental health. But for me it's important part of my mental health not to. And it's like that's it's almost a constant challenge to navigate that because people still read me as female a lot of the time and I have to do a lot of advocacy for myself and it's really challenging. It's really challenging to advocate for yourself and a lot of, you know, Trans folks will transition from one gender to another, and hormones will help their bodies look more like what they envision them to be, or whatever, you know, surgical procedures, or just a shirt that's different. But for me, there isn't that clear pathway, and there isn't a clear... Answer and in my everyday life, I navigate it at work. I navigate it every time I go to the bathroom. I feel afraid to use either bathroom. I navigate it every time I look at the word gender on a form and I have to check a box. And I usually write in my own. I don't even check the boxes. I just write trans or genderqueer, like check the M, and then, you know. So it's just it's sort of blazing my own trail, even though there's some acceptance in the mainstream community of trans folks, gender fluid is a concept that really bends people's minds a lot of the time, I think. And I, I live that as my, my top layer and trans is sort of my second layer. So.
0: It's just striking to me. I'm thinking back to medical school studying neurology. We were studying how the visual system worked in the brain. And one of the things we were learning is sort of how the neurons really work in a binary system, Mm -hmm. like black or white on or off. And that sort of by putting together a, you know, millions of binaries. That's how we form images in our mind. And so when you say it like really bends people's mind to be neither to be in the middle to be either or to be both. I I think literally it bends people's minds like literally even the biology of our brains can be constructed in a very kind of all or nothing, black or white way of thinking. So you're stretching our biology in more ways than one. It's true. I you know as I hear you doing that, I wonder if it does it at times does it feel exhausting to you?
1: It does. It really does. And that's, you know, I early in my coming to terms with my identity as genderqueer, queer, gender fluid, I was all about educating other people and really being like like I think it's not an okay expectation of the mainstream to expect like the trans community or any other marginalized community to educate the mainstream and that we all have our own responsibility to our own education but I was like okay I'm ready I'm ready you can ask me any question you want and I still feel like that a lot but a lot of the times I feel like a guinea pig or you know sort of a odd specimen or just sort of something in a test tube because I challenge so many norms consciously and I, I politicize my gender identity in a way that I think can feel uncomfortable for a lot of trans folks and cisgender, which means non-trans folks. So it's just really tiring and sometimes I just want to step back and not not have to fight to be a man all of the time and I just want to be a man. I just want to be the person that I am without having to constantly navigate it.
0: I can imagine. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm struck one of the things that I've learned so much from this series is that I've spent years thinking about how sort of femininity is an oppressive construct. And, you know, years questioning and thinking about what that means. And so I've thought about femininity as, can be, as having sort of an oppression to it or masculinity as having an oppression to it. But I had not really thought before this about how the, the very notion of gender itself can have an oppression to it that Absolutely. really and that's that's in some ways what you're really living and wanting people to start thinking about.
1: Yeah, I think it all goes back to that the notion that there are two genders and one gender is valued less than another for whatever constructed reason, you know. Masculinity tends to be the one that is more valued and we you know the feminist movement has done a lot of work to sort of debunk those myths and try to create some increased gender equality but sexism doesn't affect just female identified people it affects male identified people too like why is it terrible to be an effeminate man like a person who or like a gay man why is that still does that still come under fire if it's not rooted in sexism so gender itself is pretty oppressive at times
0: So I wonder if you can also give me other examples of how gender is oppressive for you in that gray space in the middle. Like when you said just, you know, choosing where to go to the bathroom, it's stressful. Are there there other examples like that?
1: Definitely. I guess I should say that the way gender is interpreted by some folks is oppressive rather than gender itself, because I find gender to be an inherently celebratory thing for me. But Mm. it is, it's just, I don't know, there's lots of examples every day just, you know, in my job, you know, sometimes my coworkers who are really wonderful will slip and say my say a different pronoun than the one that I prefer and then it reminds me that when people look at my body they make a different judgment about it and that happens not just you know my friends sometimes slip even friends who have been my friends and allies for a really long time and that's it's challenging for them because I know that they don't ever want to hurt me but it happens and it still hurts. It's like a slap in the face every time someone calls me a pronoun other than he. So it's really tough and I have felt really unsafe in bathrooms before and sometimes I choose to use the the women's bathroom just because it's easier and I'm more likely to be read as fitting in that space, even though that feels really not okay for me. Like I don't want to be read as female. I, like my gender identity is pretty much anything but female. You can call me anything. But So that's it's just, it's really tough. There's lots of, it's daily, every day, probably every hour something happens that I have to sort of set aside and make peace with later to get through the day.
0: When you say you feel unsafe sometimes in the male, men's bathroom, I, I wonder if you could say more about that, because I know the risk of violence to trans folk is, is not insignificant. And- totally. Yeah.
1: And it, it's rooted again in that, that sexism that we were talking about, I think, you know, particularly for people who don't conform to What the visual stereotype of a gender role is, then there's an increased risk of risk of danger. I think so. I feel really unsafe because if I go into the men's room and I'm not binding, I do occasionally, but if I don't, like I'm in there with my visible chest, which is something I'm generally pretty proud of, but it it's not something that most men in the bathroom are going to have. So, like, just you know, in that split second, head nod, someone could make a decision about me and act on it, and that feels really scary i so. no
0: kidding. I wanna, I wanna actually pause us for just a moment, Liam, because this is the midst of Begathon here at WMPG, and one of the reasons I think it's so important to give money to this station is to have a voice like yours be heard about this, about the danger of using a bathroom and the kind of risk of violence, and and how hard it is to be different in our culture, and to have that be heard in a respectful way, and um, WMPG's allows that in so many different uh, ways. It's something that I value so much about the station, and I hope people will uh, feel invited to give money to call now at 874-3000 to donate. We are so close to our goal, and we would be thrilled if you would call now and give money to WMPG and uh, for a safe space to support more voices like Liam's to be heard and to be, um, create more and more space for, pe- for people of all kinds of difference to be heard. So I'm going to come back to you, um, what you were saying. Um, oh, wait, we have, some, we have something. We have an announcement from Jen in the other room. Here you go. Just, I'm so excited. Um, we just want to give a special th- shout out and thanks to Will from Portland for supporting WMPG and Safe Space. Thanks, Will. Thank you, Will, and all those other of you who are almost about to call, who are so sort of like on the fence. Should I? Should I? Yes, you should. Please call eight seven four three thousand. So Liam, I'm ta- my guest today is Liam Beshan, and we're talking about being gender queer and really trying to live in the space between genders and both how in some ways inspiring and celebratory that is for you, and also really how challenging and what some of the very concrete risks are. Um, you know, so we ended just a moment ago talk, with talking about the risks of violence and in some ways how how threatening it is to people. I mean, there's still some part of me that doesn't quite get why someone would be moved to violence by seeing you kind of inhabit this both-and body where you have this male voice, but you, as you say, you're proud of your chest. You don't bind it. You don't try to conceal it. You're trying to inhabit the fullness of yourself in in all the ways that it sort of breaks boundaries. And um, what's your understanding of what would make someone want to hurt that? Like, uh, why why that evokes hatred or violence? I
1: feel like I I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that because it's, it's <laughs> For really the reason. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of depressing, but it's just... There's a depth of hatred that exists in the world that's not something I always feel like I have access to understanding in a really deep empathic way, but i don't my guess would be fear like that there's fear of something that challenges a person or an identity that challenges an established norm that is you know sort of it's based all based on like the power differences in our society and how we decide what is more valued than others and who is more valued than others and how we sort of give power to certain people and other people, not and people who challenge those established systems seem to be really threatening. And if we get rid of those people, then the systems can continue. So I don't know. Yeah.
0: You know, I want to ask you in some ways about how this works inside yourself, because what I'm hearing is that you're obviously really committed to marginalized populations. You're very aware of sexism. You're proud of parts of your body that appear very female and yet, I also hear you say a moment ago, like, whatever I am, I'm not female. <laughs> and I'm curious, like, when in your own coming to sense of self, did you question yourself, like, is this internalized sexism? Is this some kind of... R- rejection of femininity that feeds the culture's rejection of femininity? How did you make your peace with that?
1: It took a long time, and a lot of my thought process at first, especially when I was still identifying particularly as lesbian, was I'm probably just more of, you know, I'm exploring butch versus femme. Maybe there's a lot, a lot of non-binary in that identity for me too that I'm maybe more of a quote-unquote masculine woman and that's okay and you know I don't have to ascribe to beauty norms like shaving my legs but then it became something bigger than that and it was deeper than that and I had to really work it out and sort of it's, it's been a long process I don't know it's been so so gradual and incremental that it's hard to really pinpoint a moment where I sort of freed myself from having to ascribe to these norms and gave myself permission but it was definitely a conscious giving permission to exist exactly as I am and then I feel most beautiful and most happy about who I am when I really allow myself to take up this space that is gray and I've created it as gray it's like permission to create my own space in a way and that it's okay to do that even though it feels dangerous sometimes or scary or like I shouldn't or that I have to go on this one pathway that has been set out. So,
0: And when I think about those sort of internalized shouldn'ts, mm-hmm. w- what are the ones that have been hardest for you to sort of step through?
1: One that was a really big one recently was that I shouldn't go on hormones. Like, that, that was a really tough choice for me, and I, I went on hormones, I went on testosterone, and... August, and it was a really years and years of thinking about it, like three or four years just sitting and being proud of being genderqueer and trans and using male pronouns and having changed my name. But I really felt if I if I choose to access this medical transition piece, is that going to make me less gender fluid? Is that going to make me more of something that I'm not sure that I want to be? And then I eventually decided that it was okay for me to do, and it was okay to give myself permission to use hormones as a tool to enhance my space that I've created to be something that fits me better instead of trying to fit to a space. So that was a really tough one. I don't yeah. Know.
0: And how did you feel? like? Be, did being on hormones change the way that you thought about gender?
1: It did, yeah. I I really come from a perspective where I believe that gender is all socialization. I was sort of rejecting that there's any biological piece to it. I mean, there is. There are certainly like, things that happen for people that are biological. But listening to people's narratives of, you know, I went on testosterone and it got really hard for me to cry or, you know, I had trouble doing this thing, or I felt really angry, or, you know, when I went on estrogen and this thing happened, I was like, Psh. But then I realized that there are some things that sort of shift when your hormones shift. So that was, it was interesting. It sort of reframed how I thought about how biology and socialization intersect, and how much they impact each other. I still think it's mostly socialization, but
0: there's... <laughs> you come down heavy on the on the, na- on the nature versus nurture. Yeah. I mean, the nurture versus nature, rather. Um, so... Uh, did some of those things happen for you? I mean, did you find it was harder yeah. to access crying or more yeah. easy to access anger? Really?
1: Yeah, it, I was amazed, and i i still, you know, I still don't know that I believe that you know I feel angry simply because I have more testosterone in my body or because I'm a man, you know, but that there is something there that seems to be more increased for me. Like I do feel angrier sometimes, or I do feel like it's harder like my my emotional process is a little different and it's really kind of cool actually but it was hard at first because i felt like i had road rage all the time
0: are you studying it like are you taking notes about this totally (laughs) talk about it i mean it's it's a fascinating experience i think so many people wonder you know like what it's like to be inside the mind of someone with a different gender and of course (laughs) with all the questions that that raises um that is so intriguing about road rage. I mean, it's striking because so much of violence in the world is is perpetrated by men. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to to imagine that maybe that's partly because of the degree of anger that men have to live with.
1: Yeah, that, that men are socialized to feel anger. So I don't I don't know. It's tough, and I I really am excited about being a man who like works to debunk those myths and say you know it's possible to feel anger and work that out healthily and use communication to work it out instead of using my fists or you know i cry a lot or
0: right so i want to i want to ask you now a little bit about transition because i know that's Mm -hmm. something that's been very important for you to to talk about um we've been talking about transition some on the series and um i'd love to hear how you think about transition cool i'm excited to talk
1: about it so there's there's like, for me, there's so many different ways to transition, and I feel like when we're talking about a genderqueer identity, it's a particularly important piece because one of the pieces of tension that I understand to exist most between the genderqueer community and the trans community, which have lots of intersection, and I'd say genderqueer can be part of the trans community, but that there's sometimes a, if you're genderqueer, you're not trans enough, sort of,
0: you know, because you haven't stigma. gone all the way, yeah. Right? You
1: haven't like there's a there's a point A to point B, and you've, you're somewhere in the middle, so it's not. And I don't think that's you know everybody, but that if you don't choose to access a social transition, which might be like changing your name or changing your pronouns or having a visibly different social identity than you did before, you identified as trans or genderqueer, then that has some stigmas to it. Or if you don't choose to access a medical transition like hormones or um, surgery or whatever, which are all difficult to access because of cost and things like that that you're not trans enough or you can't be trans so i just think that it's really important to acknowledge that you don't have to do any of those things to be genderqueer or trans and that just playing around with gender is enough for me so
0: right i mean it's almost like you're living in the transition some of some of the guests that i've had have talked a little bit about that like have made the transition to fully embracing a different, the new, the target gender's identity, but actually still prefer to identify as trans, which is even a little bit different than being genderqueer. Mm -hmm. It's still like the trans part of it feels so important to the sense of self that they don't want to let go of that. And that's, you know, do you sometimes, how is that different from genderqueer, would you say? I feel
1: like... I have a lot of that too. Like, I don't think that I'll ever not identify as trans or genderqueer. Some people talk about being post-transition, and that's you know, again, totally valid. But it's for me, it's really like I'm exploring gender and finding a new way to embrace my endpoint, which is going to change every day. You know, some days I feel more feminine, some days I feel more masculine, some days I don't feel much like anything at all. So, trans is really important to me, and identifying that way and identifying as gender fluid is important. But there will always be. A, Mutability to the end point. I don't know that there will be an end point. So
0: do you do you feel like it allows you more space to play? Like do you get to be playful with your outfit and with your yeah and yeah? Like there's a really it's like this though it's wide open. You could do totally. whatever.
1: Yeah, and I love like sometimes I'll wear really big funky earrings and you know go about my day in the world and be like I'm still a man and you don't have anything that you can say about it. You know it's like I can wear a skirt and still be a man. I can look exactly like I look. I can have a cute bow in my hair and still be a man. So
0: So you get to play.
1: Yeah, play is important.
0: So the last thing I want to ask you about is I I see you have a tattoo that says without shame. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you about your choice to put that tattoo there and what it means to you.
1: There's a lot of different reasons. I think that, you know, trans people's bodies are so they're like sort of a almost a meat market in some ways people just sort of feast upon them and want to know everything about trans bodies and fetishize them and turn them into this thing that is like a science project and there's a lot of shame i think that comes with being picked apart that way and you know the first question people ask is have you had surgery on hormones that sort of thing and that there's just like an invasiveness and a violation that happens and a shame that can come from not having had those things, not wanting to do those things, not wanting to talk about those things, not wanting to be picked at, picked apart. So part of it, a level of it, is that I really want to, you know, construct my body and my gender to be without shame. And then I think an intersecting piece is that I'm a survivor of violence, too. And that was another piece where where I consciously said, as I come into a male identity, I'm going to be a male survivor of sexual violence without shame and every part of me is without shame. It's just all beautiful. So.
0: You hmm. said to me before we started, I feel like my life is so much about that, about reducing shame. And I was very moved by that. I feel very committed to the same cause, Liam.
1: Thanks. Me too.
0: And it's really been a pleasure to have you as my guest on safe space. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. This is Dr. Anne and this is safe space radio. I've been talking to Liam Beshin about living between genders in the gray space. And, um, Uh, I want to say, if you didn't get to hear all of it, and you'd like to, or if you want to email it to a friend, feel free to check out the website at safespaceradio.com, and also it'll be posted on Facebook. You can like us on Facebook if you go to Safe Space Radio and send it to friends that way. Resources from tonight's show include the book Gender Queer, an anthology edited by Ricky Williams, and also the book by Kate Bornstein, The Gender Outlaw Workbook. Um, My thanks tonight to Jen Hodgson and Maurice Lennon for the music. Uh, coming up next is covering. Coming up next is covering the bases. But before we go there, Jen and I have a few things we want to say about giving money to WMPG. Yes, and I would also like to take a minute to thank Inga from Saco and Hillary from Arlington, Mass, who have listened and called in and donated some money to WMPG. Thank you, Inga and Hillary. Thank you. I was so thrilled that you both gave money. That's so wonderful. Um, And there's still time to do so. This is our last night. We are so close to our goal. If you want to do so and you just came in and felt really inspired by what Liam said, please call at 874-3000 and give money. If you don't want to do it that way, you can go online at WMPG.org. Or you could come by here at 92 Bedford Street because there are so many people here are so psyched. The food is good. The celebration is building. Um and it would be wonderful cuz then even the the next show that's coming up which is has such a different content than ours but is so wonderful covering the basis with Thaddeus is really thoughtful about sports. He brings such a really interesting um perspective on athletics in our country which is also rare you don't get to hear that on the radio too much or on TV. True. So um This is our last pitch for Begathon. We're almost there. Please call in. Do give money to WMPG. It's such a wonderful cause for the community. 874-3000. And we'll turn it over now to Thaddeus with Covering the Bases. you P- pay